Welcome to the Triage Method Podcast, Monday edition, longer topic edition, with me, Gary McGowan, I'm a co-host, Mr. Patrick Farrell. How are you this week, Patty? As per usual, I am absolutely fantastic. In the middle of exams, um, I've one left, and that's me finished college forever, potentially, maybe, hopefully. Um, uh, as long as I don't fail any of my exams, which, you know, hopefully I don't. Um, you are also just starting exams? Yep, I start tomorrow for 10 days. Well, when, when people are listening to this, you're probably in the middle of an exam. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Nice. Um, right, so <clears throat> last week we discussed, you know, an intro to the heart, heart adaptations, that kind of stuff. And we have a good few topics planned for future episodes, but the way we... Well, for right now, the way we're thinking of doing this is doing uh, an information episode and then a practical episode. Because like the last episode, just going back on it, you know, there's little bits of practical information. There's little bits of, you know, information, information, like knowledge, information, whatever you want to call it. And I kind of want to make it so that people have a very distinct, clear idea of what to do with the information they were just presented with, rather than going like, oh, cool, I learned about the heart, which I know is important for health and I know it's important for exercise and stuff, but what do I actually do with that information? You know, whether you're a coach or whether you are, you know, a trainee yourself, just interested in being healthy, you know, you have to have a practical application in mind for the information that you receive, right? So this episode, we're going to do a little bit of a recap on some hard adaptations and then we're going to talk a bit more about how do we actually put that into a plan of action for you know staying healthy being fit you know all those goals that you know most of us have and so gary give us a brief rundown of those hard adaptations we talked about in the last episode yeah so like getting getting into this conversation like obviously last week i think a lot of our emphasis was on health and i think the important thing to to start with is that there is there is a like training for health and training for performance they're not necessarily the same thing you do get a lot of the same benefits a lot of the same adaptations you're still doing a lot of the same stuff but they're not necessarily the same thing so when we talk about cardiovascular physiology what you have to realize is that the adaptations that you're talking about that contribute to elite performance are not necessarily the same ones that we discuss uh, when it comes to health. So when you're talking about like heart health and reducing the burden or the risk of the cardiovascular disease or cardiovascular mortality um, or anything related to that, the important thing to understand is that a lot of the benefits that we talk about when it comes to exercise are not just related to the heart, you know? So when we talk about heart health or when you hear your doctor talking about heart health or you read an article online from some the hse and it's like oh how to keep a healthy heart like a lot of it is not necessarily just the heart so when you exercise like a lot of the benefits that you see um can be related to things like weight loss for example so keeping a healthy weight keeping healthy body composition you know body composition is probably a better way of talking about it so you know obviously exercise contributes to that to some degree you know there's also effects on your blood pressure for example we will have another episode or episodes on blood pressure itself but a lot of the benefits um, of exercise on heart health so to speak come via the changes in blood pressure the same with 
blood lipids. You know, it's probably the, the benefits of exercise on your blood lipids um, or lipoproteins, not necessarily um, as potent as nutrition, but they still exist to some degree. So, you know, those things still, still do have effects. So the point there being that we're talking about heart health, but often the targets um, are somewhat, you know, they're, they're actually more so like risk factors. So the benefits are coming through the adjustment of risk factors for future cardiovascular disease. And often we're talking about um, basically defects to the vasculature that come before um, the defects to the, to the actual heart itself. You know, so when you have a, when you have a, a heart attack, a myocardial infarction, basically like that's not just the result of your heart being weak. You know, I think that's important to understand because sometimes we say, oh, when you exercise, you're trying to just have a stronger heart. Um, like the, the, the reasons that that will come about would be because of, for example, um, the, your, basically the development of atherosclerosis. So plaques within your arteries, essentially, as they develop over the years. And then, then that basically um, dislodges get stuck in your your heart and you, you you get this heart attack essentially so the the thing to understand there is that you know it's not just the heart we're also talking about the overall vasculature but with that said exercise does you know confer benefits and 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 significant adaptations to the actual heart itself um, and as we discussed last week a lot of that relates to the mod, the type of exercise that you're actually doing so when you're doing endurance type exercise or continuous exercise uh, the main kind of adaptation that you're looking at there is an increase in basically the volume of the left ventricle or the heart as a whole but generally you're kind of focusing on the left ventricle as the main uh, location of adaptation so basically what that then means is that as we get this increase in the size of that chamber there's more there's more space for blood to to basically fill okay and as we discussed last week the more filling you have the better your stroke volume, meaning the more blood we pump out per beat of the heart, provided your systolic function is not impaired. And what I mean by that, by systolic function, is your ability to then pump that heart, that that blood out. So as we discussed last week, you've got your end diastolic volume. So when the heart is filled, you've got a certain volume of blood that's going to be much larger in endurance athletes. And then you also want to have preserved systolic function. So the squeezing of the heart and the ability to pump that out so that we can actually, you know, increase the overall stroke volume. You know, that, that's the key difference there between maybe uh, certain types of pathology and the actual endurance adaptations. Because you, if you had, you know, better filling of the heart, but you also didn't have great systolic function, so the heart wasn't contracting well um, to, to simplify things, you're not get necessarily getting that increase in stroke volume and you could get you know, backflow of that blood um, or resistance to blood that's then coming in because that's constantly stuck inside in that chamber. Um, and the more you have you know, blood being stuck in a chamber or stasis, there's increased opportunity for that blood to coagulate or clot. And then that's when you start to get you know, increases in risk for certain pathologies. So overall, you know, exercise is improving the function of your heart. It's improving your ability to pump out blood um, with each individual beat and hence to increase your overall capacity to move blood around the body. So that's kind of endurance exercise is, is giving you that, that adaptation of an increase in filling, you know, so you get a left ventricular, um, an increase in the, in the size of the left, the left ventricle and a kind of a more modest increase in the actual 
uh, thickness of that wall. So the actual hypertrophy that you might consider when, with, with respect to your biceps, let's say, that is taking place um, in terms of a little bit of thickening in the left ventricle, the, the muscle there, the myocardium, but it's not as significant as it is during resistance training. So you can basically think of the pattern associated with more continuous or endurance type training on one end of the spectrum being more so increase in volume with a modest increase in thickness and then resistance training on the other side of things that's more so associated with a more significant increase in thickness and a modest increase in volume and that is important to, to understand there as well um, is that that increase in thickness that you do get as a result of resistance training as a result of lifting weights and um, that it is a healthy physiological adaptation um, most of the time because you know you can get that thickening of the wall of the heart in certain disease states certain pathologies and it's not necessarily a healthful state because it tends to either reduce the volume within the chamber or reduce the ability of the muscle to contract you could say because of basically the way that those muscle fibers have been laid down um, and potentially other types of tissue like connective tissue that are not contractile that impair the ability of the heart to work. Okay. So it is a little bit different. So overall, they're kind of the, the main types of adaptations that we're talking about when we talk about exercise um, at the level of the heart. But, you know, as I said, the, like a lot of the benefits of exercise come beyond just the level of the heart. Like, you know, when you start to talk about the, the vasculature, or the blood vessels, you know, we did touch on it last week. But as you begin to exercise over time, you know, your heart, your blood vessels also adapt, you know, so the pressure mediated stress, you know, so the exact the, the blood pushing out on the walls of the blood vessels, and also the shear stress so the blood, um, basically, uh, friction of the blood against the, the wall of the, the blood vessels, the endothelial cells, they also can they also lead to or that those forces also lead to to adaptations um, that make your blood vessels um, a little bit more um, compliant or responsive to increases in, in blood flow, you know. So if the you get you get what's called you know flow mediated dilation. So people who are exercise trained, um, as the blood begins to flow through those vessels, they're a little bit more you know responsive. They're like, okay, we're going to open up, we're going to enable this flow. Versus someone who maybe does not have a high training status, and their blood vessels might be you know a little bit less compliant. Um, a little bit more resistant and they're not really as responsive uh, to those forces. So you are getting adaptations there as well. Um, the other important thing to understand is that, you know, we talk about the heart, we talk about the, the vasculature. We also talked a little bit last week about, um, you know, the lungs that they might, there might be something there at the lungs as well. Um, it's kind of a little bit less understood, but also at the level of the muscle, you know, really, really important to get this guys is that when you're talking about cardiovascular exercise, one of the reasons You'll often see us not just refer to it as cardio. You know, I don't like to just call it call it cardio because it's not it's not just the heart. It's also at the level of the muscle. You know, when we're more when we're when we're fitter, when we're higher level of fitness, we engage in more physical activity. Whether that be just walking more, or whether it be doing you know sprints, or whether it be you know doing marathon running or whatever, you also get adaptations at the level of muscle that improve 
quote unquote cardiovascular function because when you when you start to exercise more you get an we mentioned this last week you get what's called you know mitochondrial biogenesis so you get an increase in the density of the mitochondria within the muscle and what that means is you've got more of these units that are able to produce energy um, via oxidative means so you've got you've got more capacity to use that oxygen to produce energy and as a result you've got overall increased oxidative capacity um, and that is something that contributes to what we would call cardiovascular health and then that goes what goes along with that is also the supply of that oxygen so if you've got these adaptations to exercise that are giving you more of these factories to produce energy um, through means of you know oxygen what you've also got is the delivery systems to that uh, to those factories and in this case that's the process of angiogenesis and what that means is that you get an increase in the the density of capillaries within your muscle um, as you begin to like for example if you were to build new muscle you know you're also getting the the adaptations with the capillaries but particularly as it relates to endurance training and continuous training or cardio training you could say you're getting in a more more of those little roots and branching points because the capillaries um your blood vessels they actually have the potential to you know branch off um, and kind of split a little bit and they send off little branches and as a result that increases the ability for of oxygen to diffuse into those tissues because what you have to think about is like if you've got all these factories that can use oxygen to produce energy you need to be able to supply it there so if you've only got let's say one vessel running through and there's you know six mitochondria you're actually talking about thousands and thousands and thousands around the place but if you're talking if you're talking about like if you think of that example like you've only got one kind of means of distributing the oxygen but you've got lots of these different factories obviously that's going to be less effective and as you increase the distance between the capillary um, and the mitochondria or the cell to which it's trying to to travel there's an increase in the distance that oxygen has to has to diffuse to and that's less effective so as a result you're going to be less able to use that oxygen as it's pumped around the body and these are the adaptations that you actually do um, see in athletes is that athletes have a better ability um, to take up that oxygen at the level of the tissue. Um, so, so it's basically matching the ability of the heart to pump out more blood. So it's not just the heart. It's not just the blood vessels. Um, it's not just the muscle. It's all of this integrated together along with all of the other systemic benefits of exercise. And that's really important to understand is that, you know, you, you can't separate this from talking about, the ability of exercise to regulate blood sugar, you know, because if you've got, if you've got high blood sugar that can damage your blood vessels and lead to, you know, a lot of other um, negative effects that are associated with cardiovascular disease and exercise directly reduces blood glucose, um, improves your insulin sensitivity, your response, your responsiveness to, to the signal insulin. Um, and overall, this again contributes to reducing cardiovascular risk. There are also more like speculative adaptations that are that are pretty interesting as well. In that, like, if you were to have a cardiovascular event, let's say, so you have you have a heart attack, one of the things that can happen there is that you know even if you're you know you're doing fine, you know you've survived the initial heart attack, you can get what you can get basically a reperfusion injury. So basically, like one of the things to understand is that like Patty and I talk about it all the time is that you, you can't just say good and bad in the body, you know, oxygen can be quite harmful. And in the, and in this case, you know, oxygen and free radicals associated with that, when you get reperfusion of an area that has been ischemic, so meaning that, you know, there was poor blood supply, poor, 
poor oxygen supply to that tissue. When that is reperfused, that can lead to a lot of extra damage because of basically the free radicals reactive oxygen species, et cetera. So that can lead to damage of those tissues. And one of the things that happens with exercise, and this is maybe like, it's one of the, like the speculation currently is that like maybe high intensity interval training. So intervals, sprints, that type of stuff that this might confer additional benefits here, because what you're getting is you're getting basically what's called ischemic preconditioning because you've basically challenged your heart previously um, to the, at very high exercise intensities where it's had to work at its limits a little bit more in the absence of oxygen. So as a result, when you do have one of these events eventually, um, you're actually better able to tolerate it. It's, it's not as stressful for you. So overall, I think to summarize, the important thing to understand here is that not only is exercise reducing your risk of developing, um, or, well, firstly, your risk factors in the first place and your overall risk for developing cardiovascular disease of some sorts, it's also increasing your resistance to the severity of that cardiovascular disease or those cardiovascular events should they occur and i mean overall like the important the really important thing to get is that exercise does increase your chance of longevity of having a longer life and it does very significantly reduce your risk of cardiovascular mortality and like the harsh reality is is that most of us listening to this podcast or most of us who are probably even into fitness are probably going to you know, succumb to cardiovascular disease at some point because it is basically um, the, the major killer now in, in I, I would say, Western societies, but like it's, it's not just Western societies. It's, it's the world, essentially, as we begin to develop and have uh, more sedentary lifestyles, more access to hyperpalatable foods, etc. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, I would recommend exercise. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's two things with just, well, I'm going to summarize again what you just summarized. Well, firstly, what you need to understand with any discussion of health and fitness stuff, first of all, reductionism, like that's not how the body works, right? You need yeah. to have more of a, a systems biology approach. Like you need to integrate all these different systems together. And like you can even see just there, Gary, going through the different things. It, it would be very hard to very clearly delineate and you know say oh this was the exact thing yeah, that helped yeah with, with the, the the heart disease risk or you know that the harsh adaptations or whatever it's like it's very hard to tell you the exact thing because it's a multifactorial system there's so many things that go on like i didn't even turn, touch on like the the neurochemistry the the nervous system like there's so many things that occur you know there's, there's specific adaptations at the cellular level like i was touching on the, the mitochondria there's also upregulations in different enzymes like there's so many things that go on right so while reducing things down and like that's effectively what we're doing in this episode like we're talking about the heart like we'll, we'll come back to that in a second but the, the reason we're, we're starting the show with basically a recap and stating that there's a lot going on is because you you need to have an integrated system in your mind even if you don't understand every single little nuance that is occurring you need to know that these other adaptations are occurring. You don't need to know them all. You don't need to know every single thing, but you need to know that, okay, yeah, you've been reading about or you've been learning about this adaptation, but that doesn't happen in isolation. And it's not as if you can very, very specifically target only one system or only one adaptation. When you are performing exercise, you are getting little bits of all of these adaptations. So you have to look at the, you know, the stuff that we're going to talk about here 
with that in mind, you know? And while yes, there are definitely ways to bias certain adaptations over other adaptations, you still have to keep in mind that you are getting a lot of peripheral benefits, right? The second thing to that, there, I'm actually going to touch on three things. The second thing to that is that there, there is obviously a spectrum with regards to the, the exercise prescriptions, whatever you want to call them. Like Gary touched on there with the, the, the issue of like, say, athletes and stuff, you know, where you, you can do too much, okay? And that kind of seems a bit uh, counterintuitive because you're like, surely if I get fitter, I'm going to have better health outcomes. But like, we always talk about things in this kind of triangle of you know health if you want to call it that but one of the things is you know health one of them is body composition and one of them is performance that's generally what people come to the health and fitness sphere for now there are obviously other aspects that could be touched on but may fall under one of those things but that's a kind of a triangle if you ever played something like i don't know pro evolution soccer you know where they have that little you know skill thing where it's like oh he's got this much speed he's got yeah. this much power he's got whatever like if you think of it like that you can focus more on one thing but you only have a certain amount of you know money to spend to get better at different things like and the money being your time and your ability to adapt you know so you can be very very focused on health but not be good at performance or vice versa. You know, like you could be really, really focused only on your performance and you know, your health is of a lower concern. And again, you see this with a lot of pro athletes and you think, Oh, they're a pro athletes. They've got this huge performance. They have good body composition. That's what I'm going to, you know, emulate. And then you see them die at like 30 from a heart disease. And they're like, well, he was a sprinter. What? Like, how is this the case? But then you go, you dig in a little bit deeper and it's like, Oh, the adaptations that they were getting aren't necessarily conducive to long-term health. And all the other things they were doing to really focus in on, you know, the performance aspect, you know, it probably was negative in the health aspect, you know, maybe certain nutrition protocols, maybe certain, you know, we'll call them stress protocols. Like you have to, you know, overtrain to be a fucking world-class athlete, you know? And, and then obviously most fucking world-class athletes are on drugs as well. So that has to be factored in. So like all of those things do play a role you know so just because someone is really really high level performance doesn't mean they are really high level health you know so you have to be very specific in what you're trying to you know target you know but at the same time getting some specific adaptations within the body is very hard to do without getting peripheral adaptations right so what i want you to keep in mind that there is obviously this kind of goldilocks zone with you know health and fitness adaptations where, you know, too little, well, it's just too little. You're not really getting enough, right? Um, and that's going to cause issues down the line, you know? But then there's a range where it's like, this is probably your, your optimal. And obviously there's more or less optimal, but there's probably a, a point where it's like, yeah, for a, a while here, there's a line where, you know, you can stay within this, get all the benefits without having to invest more time, you know? And then the more time you put in, it's like, okay, well, you actually start getting negatives, you know? Like you can be too fit, you know and um, so we have to we have to keep that in mind when we are looking at all of these now we are going to give some kind of specific um recommendations because it'd be reckless for me to just say yeah too little is bad but too much is bad and then not tell you what that actually looks like you know like you have to have some sort of framework but you also have to take that in the framework of like right now we're talking about the heart right that doesn't mean that this, the same recommendations apply for other goals, you know, like the, the too much for the heart might be different than the too much for your diabetes risk, 
right? So they might align, but they might not, right? So that has to be taken into account. Like you basically just have to be very, very specific in your goals and realize that there is a, a spectrum of recommendations depending on the population. And obviously, as this is a very general discussion that is basically just entertainment, like it's not, it's not medical advice. You need to get very specific medical advice for yourself. This is just, you know, here's some information, you know, use this information to help better inform yourself, but realize that this isn't specific information for you, you know? So with that out of the way, do you have anything else to say for that? Cause I just want to go on to just recap a little bit of the adaptations just at the heart level. All right. So if, if we look at this now, this is, this is how my stupid monkey brain kind of conceptualizes this to make it easier to understand. And if you listen, listen to the podcast, you know that I basically think of everything in like anecdotes or in like some other system. I'm like, I ha- it has to be connected. I have to be able to kind of visualize it. Like that, that's how my brain works. So the way I look at it, I'm like, the heart is a muscle, right? Now it's not the same as like a, uh, a bicep muscle, but a muscle nonetheless, right? So thinking of it like that, that helps me kind of conceptualize how we would go about training it. Now, again, Gary was saying there, you have your kind of, we'll say lower intent. Like again, this is obviously very simplified, but this is not the, the extent of all the stuff that's gone. This is just a an, uh, a little, uh, you know, re- reminder kind of thing, right? Um, so you have your lower intensity stuff. That leads to this kind of uh, enlargement of the left ventricle of the heart. Right. So again, we look at that and go, that makes it easier to pump more blood around the body. Right. And generally that's called like a eccentric cardiac hypertrophy. Right. Yeah. Generally that's what we'll call it. Right. So that kind of gets you thinking, you're like, okay, so that's the eccentric. Again, we go back to the bicep. We're like, oh, all right, that's the eccentric. That's the lowering of the weight. Right. So that's probably one of the more important things. If you're lifting weights, <clears throat> you want to be able to lift weights safely. If you want to be able to move your body safely. So having a stronger eccentric reserve probably makes sense. You know, like if you are bench pressing, you are always going to be stronger on the eccentric than the concentric, which makes sense because you want to be able to save yourself, like slowly lower something down rather than have it completely crash down on you. Right. So that's the eccentric right now, higher intensity stuff does seem to cause a strengthening of the, the muscle fibers themselves in the heart, right. It allows you to pump more blood right so that's generally called like the, the concentric cardiac hypertrophy right so again we're thinking oh concentric we, there's our there's our two eccentric concentric now this isn't exactly aligned with the muscle again this is just you know a little whatever metaphor but effectively like if you were to train your muscle your, your bicep you wouldn't only do eccentric overloads right you wouldn't only get good at the eccentric you also wouldn't only get good at the concentric, you know, you would obviously do both right now. Happily enough, there are crossover in those adaptations because, you know, even if you will call it them doing cheek curls for your biceps, you know, you, you, you throw the weight up, right. And then you slowly lower it down, right. You still have to, you still get some concentric overload with that, right. Even if your main focus is on the eccentric. So if you are doing all low intensity stuff, you do still get some of the Eat the, the concentric benefits. You do get some of the higher intensity benefits, right? And then also, if you're doing all high intensity stuff, you do still get some of the lower intensity stuff. You know, there's no way to do only concentric work, you know? Like, you're not gonna, even if you just completely drop the weight, there's still some 
eccentric overload on that, even if it's not, you know, a hundred percent, we'll say even down to 1%, you are still getting some. So the reason I bring this up and just kind of delineate those two, a lot of the time you see people really focus on, oh, this is, you know, purely for left ventricle hypertrophy, right? And they're like, oh, really low intensity stuff. That's, that's what I focus on. That's what I'm, I, I really, really hammer home on. And you have the opposite people that are like, oh no, it's all about that eccentric cardiac hypertrophy. It's all about, you know, high intensity stuff. You get all the adaptations from the lower intensity stuff. It, it's easy, right? I, I don't want you to think of it in a binary term or a binary manner, right? Both adaptations are beneficial. Like ideally you want to get both. Like think about it. You want to have a, a strong eccentric and a strong concentric. That's, that's the ideal. You want to have a strong uh, heart contraction. You want to be able to, pump all the blood around the body, but you also want to be able to fill that heart nice and large so that you can pump more blood around the body, you know? So you need to have this balance between the two. And um, there are possibilities to have a, an unbalanced system, but I, like this stuff is like very highly regulated, right? It's not like, oh, I actually got my heart too strong and, you know, unfortunately, like it contracts too hard now. You know, like you don't, you don't see that happening for most people. Right. And um, however, and this is again, Gary said this earlier on, like, this is why you like, it's actually very hard to talk about heart disease when in reality, it's usually like vascular disease or these other peripheral systems, like the heart itself, like it's, it's a pretty resilient organ, right? It's only when the the, the rest of the stuff, something goes wrong that it's like, oh, now we don't have something. We, we need to deal with something that went wrong with the rest of the system. The electrical wiring or whatever you want to conceptualize it as has gone wrong. And now the motor is you know, out of control. So I just wanted to bring, just basically say that lower intensity stuff, left ventricle and then or left ventricle hypertrophy and then higher intensity stuff, you know, we're effectively thinking about the muscle fibers are getting stronger, leading to a better contraction. Right. So Again, there's a crossover between these two. Don't think of it in terms of a binary. Oh, this is low intensity stuff is the way forward. High intensity stuff is the way forward, right? So do you have any doubt on that, Gary? I uh, don't think so. No, it's good. Right. So with all of that out of the way, like how do you actually design a plan for long-term heart health, right? Because again, like we're talking about this from the heart perspective, right? But as we said, realize that this does include all of the vascular system. It does include some of the muscle adaptations, does include all of the stuff. Like it, there's no way to divorce just the heart adaptations from the rest of the system, right? It's impossible, right? So with that in mind, like how do we think about actually designing uh, a training program for this because in my mind i'm like right we just said there's low we'll call them low intensity adaptations and there's high intensity adaptations right i only have a certain amount of hours in the week that i can allot to training you know or bettering my health i have a job i have college i have a family i have whatever it is you know so i don't have unlimited time so how can i be time efficient get these benefits and be healthy long term right and effectively, I'm going to let you take this away because I need to drink some coffee, caffeinate my brain. But I want you to effectively discuss it from four points, right? And 
two of the, well, they all overlap, but the first one is just your, we'll call it your niche, your non-exercise stuff, like your steps per day, you know, does that contribute? How did, like, how does that factor in? Um, talk about it from the low intensity stuff. Again, people like to think about this from like a continuous cardio perspective, but it doesn't necessarily need to be like on a spin bike. Like, like it could be walking in the woods, you know, it, again, as I said, there's, there's overlap. Then talk about it from the perspective of a, a high intensity cardio stuff. So we'll call it like, you know, uh, hit training or sprint training or different modalities like that. Again, like this is reductionist. We're not going through every single modality that falls under, you know, high intensity stuff. There's, there's different protocols, different, whatever. And like, we, we might go into that again. Like we did go into it before in the, the energy systems one. Um, cause we did discuss this before in like an energy systems context. So we have discussed this, um, but there's different protocols you can use. Um, depending on what you want to target exactly. And then also from the perspective of resistance training, because people don't think of resistance training in terms of being beneficial for your heart. But as we just said, like it's very, very hard to divorce things when, you know, exercise itself is, you know, stressing the heart, right? So we four four modifiable things. You know, I'm trying to design my my week here. I'm like, that's what I have available to me because that is there that's pretty much everything people have available to them go how do i design my program yeah so so i kind of want to start off by um to defending defending our institutions against the conspiracy theorists so like for, first of all like the the thing to to get here right so our if you look at our exercise guidelines like look at the exercise guidelines from the acsm american college of sports medicine or any of the institutions that will relay those on if you were to if you were to go to harvard health online you'd you'd, you'd be like all right what are the exercise guidelines you'd see something like okay uh, do 150 to 300 minutes um, of aerobic exercise per week, you know, it's, it's generally just kind of summarizes 150, but the benefits do kind of increase. Um, and it'll be like, oh, moderate to vigorous intensity. If it's vigorous intensity, maybe 75 minutes is fine. If it's, you know, moderate intensity, 150 minutes is probably good, but you know, the benefits kind of continue. You, and when you start to see those things, what you can think to yourself, especially as person, as personal trainers, you can think that's not a guideline. You know, that's, that doesn't tell me what to do. You know, that doesn't, it doesn't tell you the time. It doesn't tell you the, like the time per session, the reps, etc. But the thing to understand, the thing to understand about that is that when you're trying to prescribe from the top down, because that's effectively what that is, you can only be so prescriptive. Like, I think it would be far more ridiculous for them to say, oh yeah, here's the exact plan that everyone should follow. Like that's clearly dumb. You know, that clearly makes no sense. So basically when I look at those exercise guidelines, I'm like, okay, that's, that's something that people can roughly aim at while recognizing that there are literally hundreds of different ways that you could go about trying to, t- trying to achieve that. So the way I like to look at this when it comes to exercise for you know, cardiovascular health is kind of more like in a, in a bottom-up fashion. Okay? And, and the, way, the, the reason I say that is because obviously you have your own individual preferences, you have your own uh, genetic background, sporting background, etc. And the needs of someone... Uh, or the starting point of someone who is listening to this podcast who maybe has multiple cardiovascular risk factors and they've never exercised is very different to someone who's listening to this podcast who's you know seemingly perfectly healthy and has played multiple sports growing up so they actually have totally different starting points so if those people were to go to the guidelines you know it would make no sense for there to be one specific prescription but it does make sense for there to be like 
look, this is probably a sound kind of place that you want to be, you know? So that's, that's kind of the first thing. And the, the second thing that I wanted to, to add on as a kind of a, to set the tone for this is that this will hopefully like enlighten you on why, like follow like why looking at everything through the lens of uh, a bodybuilding or physique type of perspective, why it does kind of limit your view. You know, it really does limit your view on what really kind of moves the needle for health. Because when we talk about things through that solely physique focused perspective, very often we end up, you know, saying things like, oh, well, you know, once you're in a cardio, you can manage your, your body composition. That's really what matters. You know, if you just do your cardio, manage your calories and do your training, you're going to be fine. But what that does not account for is if you're spending, let's say, 14 hours per day, literally just sitting down, doing nothing, just totally sedentary, and then you go to the gym for the hour and you manage your nutrition, and just because you've, you know, you've kept all that in order, you think you're perfectly healthy, but not necessarily. So sedentary time, even if you exercised, still increases your risk to some degree for, for developing things like cardiovascular disease. So it's, it doesn't seem like it's just enough to just go to the gym and leave it at that. Okay. So that's our kind of our, our first starting point to realize is that your overall activity in your lifestyle, being an active person, like you said, Patty, like the first step being your neat, your non-exercise activity, thermogenesis, your basal activity, that's what sets the stage. Okay. And I think like you might initially be kind of resistant to that idea when you think about it, because you're like, but like, it's, it's so easy. It's just walking, you know, how does that make a difference? But if most of you actually were to track your heart rate, when you're going for a walk, especially if it's kind of a brisk walk, you might be surprised to see that it's like, it's somewhere between, it could be 90, 100, 110 beats per minute as a, as a kind of a regular walk. And for people who are unfit, you know, that could be pushing you up into the moderate intensity uh, zone. You know, you, it wouldn't be, it wouldn't be a surprise to see someone having a, at 140 beats per minute, just walking. And yeah, I mean, especially if, you're, if you are carrying like an extra weight, you know, if you're 100%. five, 10, 15 kilos of extra fat on, on you, like, again, like if you put 15 kilos in a backpack, and carried it around like it's probably you know significantly harder to walk around yeah like i mean if you're if you're like anyone who's worked in a hospital will notice whether you're a nurse or a physio or a doctor or whatever like if you're working with people who have certain you know they have certain diseases or let's say they have cardiovascular cardiovascular disease of some sort and they're obese as well you know it's not it's not uh it wouldn't be ridiculous to see someone literally walk up and down the corridor and for them to be you know hitting 160 170 beats per minute like they're in closing in on their max heart rate so the that's that's why i kind of always start with, with getting people to realize that your baseline physical activity is just so incredibly important so you need to be like you know the like in the in recent years what has happened is that we've like a lot of personal trainers and, and stuff and, and people in the fitness industry you know we kind of set this kind of meme of uh, you know, 10,000 steps per day, just, just aim for that. That's cool. And it's always kind of been through that lens of just body composition, you know, and I think the important thing to get is that it's not just body composition. It's not just about the calories you're burning. It's also about the baseline physical activity. That is, that is challenging your heart all of the time, even though it's just very subtle. It's just very subtle, but it's increasing, you know, that capacity um, for filling and pumping. It's putting that demand on the heart. It's putting additional stress on your, on your blood vessels. It's moving heart around the body. And that's a, a really important thing is that one of the things that happens when people go on flights, for example, 
prolonged flights. You may have heard this of, of people getting up to walk around or they wear these special uh, stockings to basically increase venous return. Because what can happen when you're on a flight for a long time because you're sitting, um, you basically get the stasis of the blood in your lower limbs. The blood begins to stay there. And then what can happen is it can coagulate, so it can start to clot. And that blood then from your veins, it goes up into the right side of your heart, it pumps out the right ventricle, it goes to your lungs, and it gives you what's called a pulmonary embolism, a PE, and you can basically just die on the spot. And that's just because you were sedentary. And obviously, increased risk with things like the, uh, if, you're, if you've got pre-clotting disorders or you're on the pill, you know, stuff like that can, can increase your risk. But the important thing to understand there is that people worry about that stuff a lot when they're on like six, eight-hour flights. Whereas people will sit for eight hours per day, no problem. You know, it's, it's never seen as something that, that is a risk. So I think what you have to realize is that a lot of us are a lot more sedentary than we actually realize. And I'm a total hypocrite. I'm studying for exams at the moment, work on a laptop. I am that person. But yeah, what I will make definitely it, say that both of us yeah. are extremely sedentary. We have, well, we've both been in college, which is a very sedentary <laughs> thing. Like, yeah, maybe your commute to college. But we also have an online business that requires me to basically sit at our, our desks or you know stand maybe but like sit for multiple hours per day you know so if you are a personal trainer like you need to be aware of that that like because i know like a lot of personal trainers or active people listen to this like a lot of people you know without concerted effort would struggle to be relatively active like i've seen people literally a thousand steps per day you know and it's like well like where do you like they, they literally drive to work you know it pisses rain every fucking day in ireland so they're hardly gonna fucking just go oh yeah, i'm just gonna cycle to work like it's not it's not a an easy thing to do again you could even be an hour two hours outside of you know your workplace um and all through the day you're just sitting down you know so going to a personal trainer and being like yeah just hit your ten thousand steps per day uh, it, it's a meme as you said but you know for a lot of people that's quite a quite a, a step up 100 percent. and like the the thing to get there is like again it's not just the heart you know it's, it's we can't we're not just talking about the heart here like if you're if you're after having a massive meal you know at your lunch and then you're sitting down for the next six hours you're giving that meal no reason to be distributed effectively within the body you know i'm like i mean from from perspective of, of blood glucose regulation let's say like you, the the uptake of that of that glucose into into your muscle you know that's encouraged by activity so i mean it's very light activity can do that there's you know there's even evidence to show that just doing a bit of stretching can increase glucose uptake you know a little bit of stretching it's nothing major but it can it can increase your, your glucose uptake yeah i always same think thing. of it like it's just contraction mediated like you could sit yeah, at your desk and just flex your hamstrings or your calves or something it's like even that helps yeah. So like, I mean, that's, that's such a subtle thing. And um, for that reason, like the way I put that into practice is like multiple times throughout the day, I'll go for multiple different walks, you know? So I'll just kind of put on a podcast for 10, 15 minutes, go walk around the block uh, once or twice and just kind of leave it at that. You know, if I'm hitting a, a wall with the study or with the online work and feeling like, Oh, maybe I'm a bit sleepy or I'm not focused. I'll just walk around the block, you know? Um, so those little things, you know, doing a, doing a few push-ups here and there, obviously if you're in an office, like this is way harder, you know? So I appreciate that. Um, but just getting up, walking around, even moving the legs under your desk, all that simple stuff. That's all your baseline physical activity, all of which is contributing to your cardiovascular health, not just because of the effects on your the, cardi the heart itself. You know, there are benefits there, but also in terms of your actual vasculature, the flow of your blood, really important. The, you know, the, the reduction in your, your blood sugar, the ability to regulate that, other things like uh, free fatty acids and triglycerides in the blood, you know, again, 
all of these things are going to be adjusted with exercise. So baseline physical activity, boom, that's your step. That's your, your number one step. So like, that's why our message is always, you know, try to be active, have an active lifestyle. It's why, you know, well, it's, it's not why, but it's part of why we like to do things like, you know, going for hikes and stuff in our spare time. Or, you know, if I was on holidays, you know, I'd like to, I'd like to go for a hike. I like climbing mountains. It doesn't mean you have to like that stuff. Could but you uh, not mention holidays? It's actually a very triggering word. It right is now. quite and triggering. Yeah. Everyone has had their holidays canceled. But anyway, go on. <laughs> but yeah, like, bringing all of that stuff into your life is just a real good way to um, increase the healthfulness of your lifestyle in the long term. And the thing to realize is that much like nutrition, this is all about like lifelong exposure. You know, exercise is the same. Exercise is a little bit different to nutrition that like clearly there's massive acute effects in terms of like how much it perturbs your system. Um, But like long term, it is this long term exposure to activity or inactivity that is going to basically lead to, to risk or lack thereof in the long term. So thinking about how you could change your life over the next 10 years, like that's the stuff you should really be looking at. Because if you're saying to yourself, you know, I'm going to take up exercise three times per week, but all of your other hobbies and your job are really sedentary, that mightn't move the needle as much as it potentially could. So that's why basal activity, step number one. Then thereafter. So just before we go on, go I would for and this is personally just my personal opinion. If you said I could only do one activity to maintain my health for the rest of my life, it would probably just be walking. It's legit. Like it's a personal, personal perspective, walk. you know, like I'm like, you could easily get a very healthful and very well, relatively aesthetic physique, just walking 10 to 20 K steps per day. Now, obviously that's, you know, reckless recommendation for the vast majority of people. But, you know, like if you're like, what's the one thing you can do to move the needle in terms of health? And it would be to, you know, be active day to day generally, you know, like if you can get a walk in one to three times per day, again, I'm presuming a 20 to 30 minute walk, like that's a huge step forward in health. Like if you did nothing else with that, you would dramatically increase your, your heart health and dramatically decrease your diabetes risk, you know, um, assuming relatively okay nutrition, you know? So that would probably, like, I I think that a lot where I'm like, look, if you have to recommend one thing for people to do, what would you do? And for me, it would probably just get a better handle on your niche. Yep. Um, I don't disagree. I think it's, I think it's true. I think in terms of like your, your baseline physical activity, having active lifestyle, part of that is literally just walking. Um, obviously there are very significant additive benefits of adding things onto that. But like you said, like if you're, if you're going to, you know, just, if you were, let's say to do like just weight training three times per week for 30 minutes an hour, like, or, and sit on your ass for the rest of the week, like that's not necessarily helpful. And you could potentially say that, you know, the person who's walking all the time might be better off. Um, you definitely can, because you can look at who's the most healthful people out there and it's the postman because they fucking walk. Yeah. Every <laughs> it's true. Our cycle. Well, a lot of them, a lot of them are lazy in their vans, though. Some, some of them, anyway. Some of them are like call them those fucking vital, fucking <laughs> degenerate. This is because you're from Kerry. No, it's because I've got a couple of friends who've been postmen, so I just, you know, have to troll. No, you're uh, degenerate. You're scum. Anyway, um, 
what was I going to say? Yeah. So like basically thereafter, obviously there are additional benefits in terms of adding things onto your walking, your baseline physical activity. Um, and it kind of starts with like, all right, can we get things up into the moderate intensity range? So can you get to the point where, you know, like a simple way of thinking about it is a, a somewhat conversational pace. So where you could kind of hold a conversation, it's a little bit challenging, but if you were to, you know, try to sing a song that probably wouldn't be fine. You probably wouldn't be able to do it, you know? So you're talking, wouldn't be able to do it in general life anyway, either. (laughs) You're probably talking somewhere around like 70% of, of your max heart rate, you know, somewhere around there for a lot of the people that, that we coach, um, it's probably somewhere between like 130 and 150 beats per minute for a lot of people. Um, But yeah, basically what you're looking for is like that where you are short of breath, you are feeling short of breath, but you can still kind of hold a conversation with someone that is, that is next to you. Um, I often go back and forth on this on like what that actually means, because I'm thinking like, sometimes I'm like, okay, that's really difficult to gauge with swimmers. It's real difficult to gauge with people who do rowing or the assault bike because of the noise. And it's also real difficult when you're running because the actual impact of hitting the, the treadmill also kind of affects your breathing independent of other stuff. But you kind of get the point. You know, you want to be a bit short of breath. Again, key thing to understand here is that for some of you listening to this, walking will be that. And that even goes for bodybuilders. Man, I like we know bodybuilders who like they can't go for walks. You know, they, they can't like that's not a thing. They can't they can't go for walks and with with their their partner or with uh, friends without it being a real significant task. And that's the case for again, that goes back to the point at the beginning why you shouldn't just think of bodybuilding as being, you know, synonymous with health and those practices being synonymous with health, because a lot of the time these people are actually ridiculously unfit. Um so like for some of you, you know, if you're maybe if you've dedicated your life to bodybuilding and powerlifting, like literally walking might even be enough for you. Same thing if you're quite unfit, you know, walking even at a brisk pace might be enough for you to be within this moderate intensity range. And that's why you can't be real prescriptive in terms of what does this actually look like for others? You know, if you're an endurance athlete, like running at like my max pace could be like your, your little yog, you know, anyone that has, has seen, you know, videos of elite endurance athletes, you know, it's like, oh, wow, look, they're just so casual. You know, they look so casual the way they're running. I even, even Sonia O'Sullivan, when I was in UL, she, uh, she ran past me one time on the way to college and, and she was just doing the most casual little jog. And man, she was flying. Like she's not even a look on her face. She's just like, you know, you could, she could probably hold a conversation, but I would have been like probably sprinting after her. So again, all of this is totally relative because again, if you're already fit, you've already got the adaptations to make a, a, a higher intensity, a higher absolute intensity in terms of like your speed or whatever. That's actually a lower relative intensity for you. So again, understand that. Um, so that should be a, a significant part of your training. And in, in terms of like what that means, like I would start off by trying to get people to do, you know, somewhere between that kind of range of 75 to 150 minutes a week. Um, like I don't like I'm saying that because it's in the guidelines, but a lot of the time what it looks like for, for my clients is, you know, if they're not endurance focused, I still try to get them to do somewhere between 60 and 90 minutes uh, at that intensity per week, somewhere around that. Um, that's, that's kind of where I would start, but I'd also have their baseline activity uh, somewhat standardized in terms of tracking steps and they're doing resistance training. So doing all three of those things is different to just doing, you know, the one uh, where you're at that moderate intensity, because like the thing to understand is that if you're doing weight training, for example, you're also getting the, like 
periods of time where you're in that heart rate range anyway, or in that intensity range. So you can't necessarily divorce the two. And that also is the case when we start to talk about more high intensity or interval type training, because when people think of interval type training, they often think of, oh, it's just the really high intensity stuff. And it is. But what you have to realize is that even though you're going up uh, to 180 beats per minute, let's say, where the heart is really struggling to extend and get into those, uh, the, the proper, like f- the filling part of its range of motion, you could say, um, that's not the case during, in, in between intervals. So if you take two, two minutes between intervals, you're also going through periods of time where you're at 150, 140, 130, 120, 100 beats per minute. So you're spending lots of time um, at, a, at an elevated heart rate where the body is still struggling to you know, oxygenate the tissues because even though during those high intensity intervals, basically you're going to be working maybe more, depending on the, the intensity and the time, more anaerobically. So you're using more kind of, you know, glycolytic means of producing energy between those bouts what what tends to happen then is you're getting you're still getting the the shuttling and the uptake of oxygen oxygen into the tissues to repay an oxygen debt and to supply the tissues as they are at the moment so the the important thing to understand there again is that yes you are getting some different benefits in terms of the the very high intensity stuff, like for example, we discussed earlier, uh, potentially ischemic preconditioning. You know, that was one of the things that I brought up. That might be a, an adaptation, um, potentially things related to mitochondrial biogenesis and fiber type that might be different to the modern intensities. But you're also getting very, very significant crossover, you know. So, like my ideal recommendation to the vast majority of people would be to try and you know sample lots of different things like i like to see people like when i'm when i'm prescribing cardio or or conditioning type programs i'll always have something that's continuous and i'll almost always have something that's kind of more interval based and most of my clients are already doing resistance training anyway so once we've got the three of those things in there and we've got a baseline level of physical activity where someone's walking very often i'm very happy that their their health is is looked after from an exercise perspective yeah, effectively, um, the ideal world would have you just do everything, you know, um, that would that would clearly be ideal. However, we don't live in an ideal world for most cases. So, and most, and most people don't exercise at all. So that's why we're like, just walk, man. <laughs> yeah. So to put this into like a somewhat of a framework now, obviously, again, like this is just the most generalized, I have no idea who you are type of viewpoint, right? If you could get, we'll say, two to four resistance training sessions per week, right? You get, actually, let me just start this the opposite way, right? If I'm going to pee. I, I enjoy, trust the recommendation. Enjoy. Um, if you could get your daily baseline activity levels up, right? So obviously we're saying this mimetic fucking 10,000 steps per day would be ideal. However, if you're from... If you're at 1,000 now, going up from 1,000 to 4,000, 5,000 does represent an improvement, right? Like I kind of always like to have the minimum set around 6,000 to 8,000 um, for for most people because I'm like that's that's a relatively achievable place to get when you also factor in the weekends, right? And what I mean by that is if you have a few days where you're on 5,000, um, a few days where you're on 7,000, whatever, like you can make that up at the weekend. Now it's not a great idea to, you know, basically bank all of your steps for the weekend and end up having to do 30,000 steps on a Saturday. You know, that's, that's unrealistic, right? However, you know, having a baseline activity level, just getting in 
6,000 to 12,000 steps, somewhere in that range per day does quite a lot for you know the, the hard adaptations that we want. So again, 6,000 to 12,000 steps per day, somewhere in that range, if you can get that, that's your first thing ticked off the box, right? That does so much in terms of body composition, heart health, cardiovascular health overall, diabetes risk, health in general, right? So tick that off the box. If you're not doing that now and you're engaging in some elaborate small off squat program, whatever, and you want to be healthy, you probably need to realign your, your priorities and get some extra steps in throughout the day. It's a very low impact, low, you know, intensity activity that you can, you know, pretty effortlessly integrate into your day with a little bit of planning. Like again, you might have to go for a walk during your lunch break and normally you just sit at your desk and chat shit with your mates or whatever. Like, I don't know what your lunch break looks like, but either way, you know, you can find somewhere where you can get in an extra couple of thousand steps per day, you know, maybe take the stairs rather than the, the lift, whatever it is, you know, maybe again, get up every 25 minutes, do a two minute walk around, go to the toilet, get a drink of water, whatever. There's ways to break up your day and just slowly start chipping away at adding steps to your day, right? So that's the baseline thing. Get your, your, your neat looked after, right? Then the next one for me, what I would recommend, even though I actually think aerobic adaptations are probably the most beneficial for health in general um, and also performance in general, even though people don't kind of think about that. Um, well, they do, but they actually don't want, they don't have their programs aligned with that, um, is to do some resistance training, right? So if you've got your NEAT done and you do some resistance training on top of that, we'll say two to four sessions per week, you've jumped a significant way forward in managing your heart health and also managing your, again, diabetes risk, all those kind of other peripheral things, and obviously changing your body composition, which again, improves your ability to utilize stuff like glucose and stuff like that, which again, reduces your heart disease risk. All those things, they all play in together as we've discussed, right? So that would be my next thing that I'd be like, right, if we can get two to four, roughly 45 minutes to hour long sessions done per week, you know, we're a significant way forward, Right. On top of that, then, again, I'm talking from a practical perspective here where, you know, I realize people don't have multiple hours per week to be doing everything. Like, as, I, as Gary said, like, in an ideal world, you would just do everything and everything would be great, you know? But if you don't have the time, what you can do is you can, again, two to four resistance training sessions on a baseline of six to 12,000 steps. You can add in some higher intensity stuff at the end of those resistance training sessions, right? Because five to 15 minutes of higher intensity exercise at the end of a resistance training session. Let's say you do 45 minutes of resistance training and 15 minutes of higher intensity stuff. Well, those adaptations are relatively similar in terms of, you know, the adaptations from resistance training and the adaptations from uh, specific higher intensity cardio stuff. Um, well, they are relatively similar, you know, it's just an easy way to auto, like just slot in some extra cardio into your, your training program without having to extend out the time, you know, like ideally, like, we'd be like all right, we have separate sessions, we uh, have them away from each other, you know, like there, there's an ideal way to do this. However, practically, most people are going to be like, well, I can go to the gym three times per week. And yeah, I can knock out some full body resistance work for 45 minutes. And then at the end of it, do a couple of minutes of conditioning, if you want to call it that, or, you know, higher intensity cardio. Unreal. 
you've just taken a huge step forward in terms of you know building your your overall heart health however if you could do some very specific lower intensity stuff working that aerobic um conditioning um, or again the lower intensity stuff really getting that left left ventricular heart hypertrophy um that would significantly i actually think that's the the most significant change or the most significant adaptation you can make for heart health right even though i'm actually recommending that as the last thing to add into your program right and again people are going to disagree with that based on their bias based on what they feel is you know best for health and whatever but i'm just saying practically speaking that's probably the last thing people will want to add in doing 45 minutes to 90 minutes of continuous exercise you know people are like no it's not going to do it however if like gary mentioned earlier on you can bring this in in an actual fun way or enjoyable way and you know go for a hike or something you hit two birds with one stone you get your your niche you get your steps in and you get into that because again like going for a hike up a mountain like you can easily get your heart rate up to that you know 120 to 150 beats per minute for an hour 90 minutes going for a little ramble around whatever ideal you've now significant you've literally ticked every single box that you could for heart health from an exercise perspective you know throughout the week so that's how i would put this into a protocol or begin thinking about this now obviously there's thousands of different ways millions of different ways that we could actually put this into a specific protocol based on the individual in front of us based on you know the exact goals that they have their exact heart disease risk their exact like everything if we have very specifics you know we can make a specific program however as a generality you can get two to four resistance training sessions with a little bit of conditioning at the end of those on a baseline of you know six to twelve thousand steps with maybe one day of like trying to get those steps in a an hour time frame or a 90 minute time frame of like continuous steps like you go for an hour to 90 minute walk then like you you've pretty much ticked everything like that would be in my mind i'm like like what more do you really need to do you know like and again think about that you at the very least you've put in three hours of actual dedicated exercise assuming two resistance training sessions with higher intensity stuff at the end and a 90 minute session walking up the mountains on the weekend or you know going for a continuous 60 minute walk on the weekends you know like you can fit three hours in your week yeah okay it's not it's not actually three hours because you know you have to get those steps per day you know maybe you do have to add 15 minutes onto your commute because you're like i'm actually going to park a little bit further away and i'm going to get more steps and whatever but again like if you pull out your phone and you look at the amount of time you spend on facebook instagram tiktok whatever it is and it's like five six hours per day it's like at the very least you know what you can do you can stand up and do that you know you can fucking stroll through instagram and walk around your room or your your office or whatever like you know that's something that can easily be task batch you know you're, you're cooking you can literally put stuff on the pan walk around your room you know like there's there's so many ways that you can just slowly start ticking away at those st- steps adding up 100 here 200 here 300 here like they, they all accumulate and like it adds up significantly towards getting to that kind of 6 to 12k mark you know so that's how i would kind of conceptualize it if you were like patrick you have to make the recommendations for the general population we're going to force them to exercise but we want to give them the the 
minimum effective dose. That's probably what I would recommend. Baseline, get your steps up. So again, we'll say roughly bottom, bottom position, 6K, and get in two to four resistance training sessions with like a, an hour walk on the weekend or sometime throughout the week, you know, so that it's contributing to your steps, but it's also contributing to that kind of lower intensity baseline aerobic work. Yeah, I completely agree. It actually, um, it really well aligns with um, the, 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 what's called the, the kind of barbell strategy. It's often discussed in relation to it, like investment. It's, it's a Nassim Taleb's kind of philosophy, basically, is like a, bar- a barbell strategy. And if you apply this to training, it actually works really well. Bar- called a barbell strategy because basically what you're doing is you're essentially just working, you're working the tails, you know. So basically like the, the center of the barbell, there's nothing really there. And at the end of the barbell, that's where most of your work is done. Um, and in terms of like investment, Taleb often talks about it in terms of like putting like 90% of your investments into real like, you know, low, low risk, easy stuff. And then 10% into like things that have the potential for really high payoff, uh, but are less likely. And, and that's essentially the case in terms of what you're talking about exactly here is like, we're saying, right, spend a vast majority of your time just doing real easy, basic, you know, activity type stuff. And then for that extra, that last 10% of your time, you know, the time that you're really committing to exercise, like make it effective, you know, so you're doing your heavy weight training, you know, and when I say heavy, I don't mean one rep max. I mean like, like doing 12 reps, your 12 rep max is heavy, you know, so doing, doing heavy weight training and doing, you know, harder, you know, higher intensity and conditioning. If you were to do that and you also have your baseline of your activity you're getting the vast majority of benefits that you could be getting. Um, so like that's kind of the opposite to the way a lot of recreational exercisers, um, you know, like, sorry to, to, to create the stereotype, you know, but the kind of office worker who just kind of does it a running or the cross trainer in their spare time, but does no other exercise, no weight training or anything. That's the opposite to what that type of person does. And that was often like the funny thing about that is that that, that, that that's basically like the, the opposite of the barbell strategy that we're talking about. And that's kind of the way that exercise was kind of thought of a lot of like in, in the two thousands, maybe before that, because of like the, the kind of the cardio movement, you know, it was, that's why when we talk about resistance training and high intensity training, it's actually quite hard to tell you exactly what the cardiovascular benefits are in the long term, uh, or, or compared with more standardized cardio type training because a lot of the research was focused more on just baseline continuous exercise. Um, but anyway, that's kind of off the point point being there that if you have that kind of barbell philosophy where I'm going to spend a lot of time walking, strolling, taking it easy, but staying a little bit active. And then when I get to work, I'm really going to get to work. Like that's going to take you so, so far because I think one of the things that people really need to understand is that even if you're doing, interval or conditioning type work um that is like that is increasing your maximum ops, oxygen consumption and markers of aerobic fitness so even though people think of interval training as being quote-unquote anaerobic it is still improving your capacity your baseline aerobic capacity and your ability even your your endurance you know so th- that does give you those adaptations too which is why we would say that, you know, doing, doing the extremes is a really sound, sound practice. Now that doesn't mean that that's always what I advise in practice because some of my clients will have goals related to their 5k runtime, their 10k runtime or increasing distance because like that's, that's a specific activity they want to get better at. Um, so you have to consider that too. So what I'm not saying is 
oh yeah, ditch all the moderate intensity work. You know, that's, that's silly. But what we are saying is that if you want to be selective, you definitely get your weight training in because the benefits go far beyond the cardiovascular stuff. You know, your actual, like the muscle mass itself, the strength itself, independently beneficial, um, get your higher intensity work in because it probably takes shorter time to get similar amounts of benefits, um, potentially depending on what you're doing, then walk a lot and you're taken care of really. Literally, it's that simple in theory. In theory, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, whenever we give like recommendations, I always kind of try to think of it from, you know, I don't know, like my parents' perspective or someone that's not necessarily interested in you know, getting as jacked as possible or, you know, having their performance off the charts. They're just like, yeah, I want to look, feel and be healthier. You know, they're like, I, I don't want to have this belly that I have or, you know, I want to have better you know, blood sugar control, or I want to have better, you know, blood pressure or heart health or, you know, the general concerns of a, a human. And it's like, like people want to be healthy, even if they engage in unhealthy behaviors, quote unquote, unhealthy behaviors, they have this kind of ambivalence where it's like, they know what they should be doing. They probably know exactly what they should be doing realistically. Um, but they're just not doing it. You know, they're like, Oh, well, you know, the momentary pleasure of those, sweets and you know can whatever you know alcohol or whatever it is it's like you know that's i, I want to do that rather than you know think of this long term down the road like that's a that's a problem for future me not right now it's like these crisps they taste great this the chipper was great you know like that's what people are thinking in the in the now they're like that momentary pleasure you know but you can still like if you are a coach, you're going to have to learn to coach people through ambivalence. You know, like you're going to have to learn to coach people through feeling like they know what they should do, but they're just not doing it. You know, like if you think coaching is a process where I create a plan, the person does the plan, results follow. Yeah, we might tweak one or two things here and there to be more specific to the adaptations or whatever. Like that's not how coaching happens. Like that. That, that's never the case. No one, like no one is a robot, right? So you're going to have these uh, ambivalent issues come up where people are like, yeah, I know I should be on track with the, the calories here or the diet protocols we've brought in. But, you know, I was over at my friends and they, they brought out cake and then we, we had a few beers and then like, I knew I shouldn't have been doing it in the, the thing. And there's all this guilt and everything that's associated with it. But, you know, people generally want to engage in healthier practices. So, when you're thinking about giving general recommendations, you know, you need to think of it from the perspective of what's the minimal effective dose. This is not for someone that, you know, wants to optimize everything. They're like, Oh, I'm thinking about the difference in, you know, doing this sort of curl for the short head of my bicep versus the long head of my bicep. How do I, how do I maximize the long head because I want a better peak or whatever it is. It's not for those people, you know, like there's obviously specific protocols and information for those people. But if you're giving these general recommendations for, the, the general population you want to think of like what's the minimum effective dose that i can provide or you know put into the system to get the effect that i want you know and that's what i think what we just said there represents the kind of minimum effective dose that covers all of your bases you know and it's in theory not that hard to do like you can cover all of your bases in three hours of activity like actual you know uh activity per week two resistance training sessions 
and you know a specific longer walk you know assuming the baseline is general six to 12k steps per day you know your, your niche is relatively high like you could be a production line worker and not do any steps but you're moving your arms all day like that that still counts you know um i'm just saying like your steps are a, an easy enough way to count your your baseline activity you know um or your baseline niche you know um so three hours per week is not a lot you know so if you can get people to put that kind of level of commitment in you know then they're well on their way to being healthy you know and like most people can spare three hours per week like imagine just going like right two evenings per week we're gonna go to the gym even if you did like i don't know a class or something you know it's like a a body pump class something is like it's not like the most intense resistance training you're ever going to do it's not the best it's not whatever but you know it gets stuff done you know it's not targets the whole body you know it's like it's fair enough you know would i design it as the the protocol i'd give probably not but you know if someone's like yeah i just want to join a gym go to a class don't think about it clock in clock out unreal you're done you know and also with like something like a body pump you are getting body pump is probably not a great example but i'm just saying as an example you know you get two resistance training sessions per week you know say you go tuesday and thursday you do a full body workout twice per week do a little bit of conditioning at the end of that like specific higher intensity stuff and then go for a longer walk on the saturday or sunday peak peak health yep trias said do body pump yeah unreal they're actually paying me to say that fantastic i have nothing else to add gary that's it that That is that is it we're done if you want to find out more info about anything that we are sharing then newsletter is a good place to start so subscribe to the email newsletter below and you will find all of our content that we have produced published or shared and other recommended resources from around the internet so would recommend getting on that. Um, in addition, you can join the Triage Method community, which is our free Facebook group, open access, get in there for some productive discussions, ask additional questions, etc. On that note, if you have a question for the podcast, you can drop it in there or drop it into the questions box below. Um, and then we will answer your question on the podcast or discuss it as a full kind of topic episode. Um, if you're interested in any of our services, of course, you can engage with one-to-one online coaching, group coaching, or check out the programs and templates in the bookstore. Um, we do have coaching spaces available at the moment. So if you are interested, do get involved. Looks like we're not going to be back in the gym for a couple of months. So some of you might have goals you want to get working on um, and we can help you out with that. Um, uh, so that is all of that. What was I going to say? The we mentioned it already, um, or we mentioned it last week. Uh, we will be launching a new product slash service for personal trainers um, or interested trainees in the coming month or so. And that's going to be called the Coach's Corner. It's going to be an educational platform designed to give people the kind of practical application of the sciency and practical stuff. So whether it be you want systems to improve your you know, coaching practice, ability to track uh, stuff with your clients, program for your clients, or as an individual, you might wish to, you know, have different ways of tracking your progress and stuff like that. Um, Or you just want to get the application of things like 
exercise physiology. You know, for example, we talked about that in this episode. We talked about, you know, ischemic preconditioning and mitochondrial biogenesis and all that sort of, sort of stuff. Um, basically, in the coach's corner, we'll be taking a lot of that and showing you kind of what that actually means um, in terms of like, all right, what, what like we can show you graphs, graphics of the heart, like what, how is this actually working? Um, what are the adaptations at the level of the vasculature? We'll be talking about that sort of stuff, but really trying to apply then what does that actually mean for you, your clients, your health, your performance, etc. cetera. Um, so if you want to register your interest for that, you can do so um, in the subscription box below. You'll basically be added to an email list where we will provide you with more information um, about that and a discount for those of, those of you who have pre-registered your interest. So you're not committing to anything by signing up to that, but you you know will get a discount if you are, happen to be interested. So um, I, think that's, I think that's everything I wanted to say. That is, that's everything, Gary. Again, join the Facebook group, um, join the email list, and you will get everything that we provide. Yep. Anyway, peace out, guys. Enjoy whatever the weather brings this week. And uh, hopefully, Ireland, because I think tomorrow, well, today, if you're listening to this on the Monday, that's when the country opens back up. Um, So hopefully it all goes well. I really don't want to be stuck in my house for much longer. It's not great. it's fine now because I have exams and stuff and I'm sure you're the same, but you know, being able to uh, go for walks, longer walks, being able to actually, you know, see my friends, family, it would all be enjoyable. So hopefully that comes in the next few weeks. Hopefully. Hopefully. Right. Goodbye. <laughs>